We all know that change can sometimes be hard, but we know too that it's often necessary. The story you are about to hear from John's Gospel is about a man who is healed, but it turns out the man who gets healed is perhaps the least willing and least grateful of all the people Jesus healed in the Gospel of John. And so to set the scene, they are at a healing pool called Bethsatha, near the Sheep's Gate in Jerusalem. By the way, it's still there. You can see it. I visited the site the last time I was in Jerusalem. Around this pool, there were many porticos with invalids of every kind, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. They came to the pool because it was believed that an angel of the Lord would come periodically and stir up the waters, and that whoever was able to get into the pool while the waters were bubbling up would be healed of their malady. So the man that Jesus heals has been waiting a long, long time to enter this pool at just the right time to no avail. And yet along comes Jesus. This is a story of a physical healing, yes, but it's as often happens with Jesus. There are many other ways to be healed as well. A reading from the Gospel of John. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew Bethzatha, which has five porticos. In these lay many ill, blind, lame, and paralyzed people. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The ill man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Silence in us any voice but your own, O Lord, and in these good moments together, speak the word you have for us today, in this time, in this day, in this place. Startle us with new and good truth, and give us courage to trust you and to follow the one who calls us into the future, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So today we start part two of our series looking at Reinhold Niebuhr's wonderful and timeless prayer, which over the years has become known as the Serenity Prayer. This humble little practical prayer has inspired millions with its simple lessons since its inception in 19, 
43, as the world was going to war. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The message it conveys is both personal and universal, simple but at the same time so very difficult to execute. For instance, how many of you stopped worrying about the things you couldn't change in this past two weeks? A couple of weeks ago, we explored the idea that peace and serenity comes from accepting the things we can't change. There is so much about our lives and our circumstances that are simply not in our control, and yet we spend precious energy worrying and fearing, angry and sad about things we can't change. There are things we cannot change. Anyone who's ever lived with a teenager or a spouse, for that matter, knows this. Instead, the prayer tells us to trust, to come to a place of acceptance, to let go and let God, to trust that thankfully God is in charge and not us. There is a God, and thankfully it is not you or me. And with that acceptance comes peace. But as we also mentioned, accepting those things we cannot change does not mean that we sit by helplessly or hopelessly. It does not mean we get to be lazy. We do not get to abdicate our responsibility to act. There are, of course, many things that we can change and should change, things that God calls us to change. And change, real change, often takes some courage. So today we look at the second part of the prayer, God grant me the courage to change the things I can. So what can we change? Father James Martin, a Jesuit priest and one of my favorite writers, wrote this great piece, which he calls the New Serenity Prayer. It goes like this. God, grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change, which is pretty much everyone, since I am clearly not you, God, at least not the last time I checked. And while you're at it, God, please give me the courage to change what I need to change about myself, which is frankly a lot, since once again, I'm not you, which means I am not perfect. It's better for me to focus on changing myself than to worry about changing other people who, as you'll no doubt remember me saying, I can't change anyway. Finally, give me the wisdom to just shut up whenever I think I'm clearly smarter than everyone else in the room. That no one knows what they're talking about except me. Or that I alone have all the answers. Basically, God, he writes, grant me the wisdom to remember that I am not you. Pretty good advice, I think. 
the courage to change the things I can. Too often change can be a dirty word. We point to everyone and everything else that needs changing before we look at the change that might need to happen in our own lives. But change is hard, makes us uncomfortable. It often scares us. I've heard it said that the last seven words in a church before we have to turn off the lights are, but we've always done it this way. And so we come to this great little story that Norm read this morning, one that appears in one form or another in all four Gospels. It's a story of Jesus healing, but it's much, much more. It's about having the courage to change. The version we looked at this morning comes from the Gospel of John. The man in our story has been ill for 38 years. Now, 38 years is a long time to sit on your mat, don't you think? For the man in our story, every day is the same, waiting, watching, hoping for change. Sitting on his mat has become a way of life for him. His life is as stagnant as the pool he sits beside. He's unable to see that the deep well of life is actually within him and not bubbling up in that magic pool of water. You see, as I said in the intro, there was this belief that the pool of water at Bethsatha had healing properties, but only when it was periodically stirred up. And he always, he always came up short when it came to getting into the water at just the right time. And so he sits on his mat for 38 years, waiting watching, hoping for things to change. And so when Jesus encounters him, he asks him just one question. Do you remember what it was? What did he ask him? Do you want to be made well? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Are you open to changing your circumstances? And so what does he answer? I mean, we would assume that he would shout aloud, yes, yes, I do. But as with almost every question Jesus asks in the Bible, he does not actually get an answer. The man doesn't really answer him, but what he does do is offer a few excuses. It's somebody else's fault. Perhaps like many of us, he's gotten used to his mat and his daily routine and his excuses. They have become comfortable. There's this old joke that goes like this. A man goes to a psychiatrist and tells him, doctor, we don't know what to do about my brother. He thinks he's a chicken. And the doctor asks, how long has this been going on? Oh, about five years. 
five years. Why didn't you come to me sooner? The man says, well, I would have, but we needed the eggs. <laughs> I suppose that could be said of all of us. To be human is to need the eggs, which is to say to be human is to be ambivalent. We can both want and not want at the same time. We can both seek healing and resist it. We can drag ourselves right to the edge of that healing pool and then come up with a thousand reasons for not getting in. Our defense mechanisms take over and we can come up with all kinds of reasons for not making the changes that are ours to make. There's something important at work here, I think. We know that the man cannot heal himself. For that, he needs Jesus. But I think also the reverse is true. Jesus cannot heal him unless he wants to be made well, unless he wants to change, unless he wants to be made whole. He must have the courage to change. The courage to simply pick up his palate and see what comes next. And friends, when we have the courage to change, Jesus changes us. He doesn't always change our circumstances, but he changes us inside. He calls us into a new way of being, of seeing, of acting, of speaking, of thinking, our stagnant pools of water can bubble with new life. But I think the courage to change the things we can has to do with more than just personal change. It also means changes to the structures and institutions and society around us in ways that are ours to do. We can't always do it alone, but we can together. After all, when Reinhold Niebuhr wrote the prayer amidst the horrible turmoil of World War II, amidst fascism and Nazis, amid a global Protestant church that had largely looked away from Hitler's atrocities, it was a time when real people and real ideals were in deep jeopardy, not unlike our own. Niebuhr surely had that in mind when he wrote about the courage to change the things we can. I think God calls us not only to change ourselves, but to work toward and stand up for the change that God wants to see in this world. In fact, the courage to change is change is actually one of the major themes of the Bible. We think of Abraham and Sarah and God's call to them to go and find a life for themselves and their descendants. I think of the Israelites delivered from slavery and their fear of change during their long sojourn in the wilderness. We think of Jesus calling us in his Sermon on the Mount to be salt and light to a hurting world. I think of Paul encouraging the early Christians, even though they were terrified at the prospect of persecution. 
from beginning to end, the story of our faith suggests that we all, individually and as a church and a society, have unrealized potential. That by God's grace and love, we can all be and do more than we ever dared to imagine. We are called to be God's hands and feet, God's voice and heart in the world. And so we pray, God grant me the courage to change the things I can, to trust God enough to know that when we partner with God, we can do miraculous things. I love what anthropologist Margaret Mead said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. I've always loved Fred Rogers, the ordained minister who had a wonderful children's program on PBS for all those years called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. After seeing the documentary about him, I found myself wishing that he was still around, teaching us how to deal with the difficult and scary things we are now dealing with in our lives, just as he taught countless children to understand about divorce, about death, about bullying, and other hard things. Today we have wildfires and war and inflation and divisiveness and COVID. Back when our country was in turmoil after 9-11, Fred put out a short video to help children and adults put it into some sort of perspective. It seems like every time we endure another nat national tragedy, we can lean on Fred Rogers' wise words. I wish you were still around today. I've got a video. You know, my mother used to say a long time ago, whenever there would be any really cat catastrophe that was on the, in the movies or, or on the air, she would say, always look for the helpers. There, were, there will always be helpers. You know, even just on the sidelines. That's why I think that if news programs could make a conscious effort of showing rescue teams, of, of showing who uh, medical people, anybody who is coming into a place where there's a tragedy, to be to be sure that they include that. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Look for the helpers. Be the helper. Or as Mahatma Gandhi famously said, be the change you want to see in the world. Change of ourselves and the world can be difficult. It can be daunting. Frankly, what needs doing is overwhelming and scary. Too often, we can be more comfortable with the way it's always been, even if that means sitting by the edge of the pool, watching life happen 
to someone else. But little by little, friends, one day at a time, we can make change. And so we pray for courage. We pray for courage to do what we can do, to pick up our pallets and walk, and we become helpers. There's an old Jewish saying that I've quoted before, I think, but it bears repeating. It goes like this, do not be daunted by the enormity of the world's grief. Do justly now. Love mercy now. Walk humbly now. You are not obligated to complete the work, but neither are you free to abandon it. Friends, we are not obligated to do everything. We cannot change what we cannot change. But with God's help, we can work to bring the change we can to the wounded parts of ourselves and this world, moment by moment, life by life. May it be so. Amen.